Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Pray for me. It's a serious business. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Amen, and may God bless this reading of his word. Thank you, Pastor Neil. for reminding me what I was doing one, two, three years ago. This morning I woke up to be reminded that two years ago I was in Brazil. I have an interest in photography, so I went to Brazil with a small group on a wildlife photography tour, particularly to see jaguars. It's really interesting when I go on these photography tours because the initial meeting is normally in a hotel, restaurant or something like that, and we've never, never met each other before, most occasions, and we have to go around the circle, introduce ourselves, say where we're from and what we do. And so it gets to me, I'm Neil, I'm from Brisbane, Australia, and I'm a Baptist pastor. And straight away, the rest of those in the group are like, whoa, 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 we better not swear too much this week, we've got a pastor with us. It was a really interesting trip two years ago. We went to Brazil. It was only four of us. There was a, a gentleman called Bob who was from Noosa, a lady called Chris. Christine, I think, is a, a real name, but she goes by Chris from Sydney, my sister and myself, and the photographer. So it was just five in total. Really great, just a really small group. Well, we headed off, and we would be spending the whole week together. And after about three days, imagine, right, we're sitting in this little minivan, we're travelling along a road in the Amazon, or near the Amazon in Brazil, and just to kind of, you know, bring some conversation to the uh, situation, I said to Chris, who was sitting beside me, Chris, what would you like to see today? And she said, Neil, I'd like to see a blue macaw, a blue macaw. So I said, well, I'm going to pray for that. And she laughed. She said, really? I said, yeah, why not? Why not? So I just bowed my head, just silent prayer, right? wasn't anything vocal. But I just prayed. I said, oh, Lord, it would be so good, so good if we get to see a blue macaw today. And then I lifted my head up. And she said, Neil, you are a funny guy. You are so funny. Well, we pulled into the lodge where we were going to stay for the next two nights and the photographer who was leading our group said, I need you to grab your bags, your suitcases, put them in your rooms, but don't touch anything and head straight to the dining room for lunch. And as we're taking our bags out of the minibus, out of the back of the minibus, he's changed his mind. No, 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 he said, stop, stop with the bags. Grab your camera. There's two blue macaws nesting in the tree right there. You need to get the shot now. So we grabbed our cameras and we got the shot. And that's the shot I got, the one on there. What is it? Your left of these blue macaws. Chris turned to me and she goes, Neil, how do you do it? How do you do that? I said, well, it's not me. I just ask. Right? I just ask. I don't do anything except ask. Next day, we're in the, in the bus. And again, 
as we're driving along, I turned to Chris and I said to Chris, now, Chris, now, what would you like to see today? And so she thought for a moment and she said, I'd like to see a taper. Now, I'd never known what a taper was like. That's it. It's the picture there. And I said to Chris, well, I'm going to pray for a taper, but I'm not going to pray just for a taper. I'm going to pray for a baby taper. Oh, Neil, she says, you're the funniest Baptist pastor I've ever met. So again, I just put my head down and said, oh, Lord, it'd be so good. So good if we just see a baby taper today. And I lifted my head. Well, we travelled on. We stopped by a lagoon for about an hour to see Kingfisher diving in, picking up some fish. No baby taper anywhere to be seen. It was starting to get dark, time to head home. We jumped back in the minivan and as we're getting back to the lodge for dinner about halfway through, the guide, the Brazilian guide at the front of the bus, he says to the driver, stop, 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 there's a taper right there. And so we stopped the minivan. Now, we don't want to make any, no any noise, right, because it wasn't too far away. So we pick up our cameras but as we're ready to hop out of the minivan, just the sliding of the door was enough for the taper to lift its head, see us, and then bolt into the bush. So we didn't get that shot. That's from a taper that I got uh, a night after that. Again, Chris turns to me and she goes, Neil, Neil, this is two days in a row. How do you do this? And again, right, I said, it's not me, it's not me. Well, I went to bed that night and I was thinking to myself, you know, God is so kind, so kind to us. He didn't need to bring out the blue macaws or the taper, right? He didn't need to do that. But I just imagine God in heaven thinking, you know, Neil, I'm just going to answer your prayer. I'd love to answer your prayer. Now we come to the third day. And I'm not going to say I want to push my luck, right? But I didn't want to push God anymore. I was happy with two. Let's just leave it at that. God is kind. God is kind. And that's what I'm going to share with you this evening. The kindness of God. The definition of kindness is this. It's the quality of being friendly, generous and considerate. A behaviour marked by ethical characteristics, a pleasant disposition and concern and consideration for others. Synonyms include being gentle, caring, and helpful. Now, this next quote many people attribute to Mark Twain, but actually he's not the person who came up with the quote. The guy who, who said this is a guy called Christian Nestel Bovey, and I like this. He says this. He says, Kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Isn't that good? Kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blindness can see. All kindness originates in God, for God is kind. God is the most kindest person in the whole universe. And yet if I was to ask you some of the attributes of God, Right? I imagine we would say, well, God is love. God is faithful. Perhaps kindness wouldn't be one that we initially jumped to. But as we had read to us so well by Charlie, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24, I'm the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and 
righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? That God delights in exercising kindness. That's vastly different from the impression that sometimes we have of God who's you know, ready to hit us over the, with a stick any time we do wrong. This verse says that God delights to be kind to you and me. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 6.35, Love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your, re your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Loving kindness is at the very center of God's heart. God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Sometimes maybe we have the impression that God is out to get the ungrateful and wicked. Oh, he loves his own children, right? But the ungrateful and wicked, no, God's going to do terrible things to them. But that's not what this verse says. He is unkind. He is kind, sorry, to the ungrateful and wicked. And if we're to be honest with ourselves as Christians, isn't that true of each of us? Before we came to know Christ as our own Saviour and Lord, we were unkind, we were ungrateful, we lived selfish lives. It was all about me. It was all about what I could get out of the world, what I could get out of life. And then I imagine something similar perhaps happened to you as happened to me, the Love of God broke through my hard-heartedness, overwhelmed with the love of Jesus that God should give his own son to die on the cross for me. For me, I know who I am. That's how much God loves me. I was awakened to the mercy, the grace, and the kindness of God. Scripture says, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I would imagine, though, that naturally you and I, we're not kind people. We do like getting our own way. Sometimes we do like putting others in their place, showing them who is the one with authority. You're not going to treat me like that. In fact, D.L. Moody is a great theologian and preacher, maybe hung around with the wrong people. But anyway, he said this, the hardest thing, the hardest thing God has to do is make people kind. Naturally, as I said, we are not kind. But it's true, we want other people to be kind to us, but we don't always reciprocate that kindness. If we're to be honest, there are, times, there are times when we are unkind toward others. We say things which hurt others. We may even plan and scheme of how we can get back at others who've hurt us. And unkindness is expressed in rage. We see this all the time, don't we? Road rage. Christmas shopping rage. What about social media rage? I used to, but I don't do it very much anymore. 
sometimes you know you read people's comments or statements on social media and I'd want to disagree with them and so I would write a comment well there's one occasions when I did that and gee the backlash that came upon me people that I know don't know I'd have no idea who they are you are this, you are this, you are this. You need to wake up for yourself. You need to. And I just thought, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think I'll comment on social media anymore, particularly about political things. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Proverbs eleven seventeen and 18 says, Those who are kind reward themselves, but the cruel do themselves harm. The wicked earn no real gain, but those who sow righteousness get a true reward. Do you know in Scripture, there's an illustration, a story of unkindness that changed, unkindness that changed the course of one nation forever, forever. Solomon, one of the greatest kings of Israel, passed away. And his son Rehoboam took over from him. Let me read to you 1 Kings chapter 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke that he placed on us, and we will serve you. And he said to them, Go away for three days and then come again to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the older men who had attended his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you advise me? to answer this people. And they answered him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them, some translations have be kind, be kind to them. When you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he disregarded the advice that the older men gave him and he consulted with the young men who had grown up with him and now attended him. He said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus you should say to this people who spoke to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you must lighten it for us. Thus you should say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had said, come to me again the third day. The king answered the people harshly. He disregarded the advice that the older men had given him and spoke to them according to the advice of the young men. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. See what's happening here? Rehoboam gathered together all the old wise men and said to them, the people are complaining that my father has taxed them too heavily and they want some tax relief. 
What should I do? And the old wise sages said, give the people tax relief. Because if you are kind to the people, they will serve you forever. That's the promise. They will serve you forever. But what does Rehoboam do? He calls in his younger men who's grown up with him, who love living in the palace and all the luxury of the palace. And he says to them, what should I do? Should I tax the people as heavily as I am or should I give them tax relief? And the young men say this, tax them more, tax them more. And so Rehoboam does that. He had the promise that if he was kind to the people, they would serve him forever. But he didn't listen to them. He listened to the younger men. And he said to them, My father beat you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. What's he saying? If you thought life was hard under my father, wait. I'm going to be much harder on you. Rehoboam was given authority beyond his capacity simply by listening to unwise counsel, yielding to a spirit of arrogance. He divided the kingdom of God's people and shattered the image of God's nation before an unbelieving world. He'd been given great advice, but he didn't listen to it. Be kind, be kind. They will serve you forever. Well, we didn't read the rest of the chapter, but I'll tell you what happens. Rehoboam gets his chief advisor, his secretary, Adoram, the taskmaster of the people. And he says to him, go out into the field. I want you to work the people even harder than they are. And Rehoboam follows in his chariot. You can read this in 1 Kings chapter 12. Because Rehoboam wants to see the people groaning and groaning and agonizing under the forced labor that Adoram puts them. What do the people do? They kill Adoram. They kill him. Rehoboam now is shocked. He jumps back into his chariot. He hightails it back into Jerusalem. And 1 Kings 12, 19 says, So Israel has been on rebellion against the house of David to this day. What was the end result? The nation became divided. The ten northern tribes decided that they wanted to be under the king Jeroboam and Rehoboam, who initially had it all, was left with two small tribes, Judah and Benjamin. He could have ruled like his father, Solomon had. Unkindness can have devastating consequences. It's true. Sometimes a word, a word said in unkindness can remain with the recipient for years, for years. I know I've spoken to people. A teacher has said an unkind word to them or a parent has said an unkind word to them and they live with that for years. But the opposite is also true. 2 Samuel chapter 9 tells of a gentleman called Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. 1 Samuel chapter 12, 20. King Saul is in power and his son Jonathan. And both of them know that one day David is going to take over as king. 
Now, the situation of the day during the reigns of King Saul and David was this, that if a new person rose up, a new family rose up and took over the throne, then they would kill all the previous king's family. So there's no chance of retribution or revenge, right? Wipe them out, totally wipe out that family. That was the culture of the day. And Saul and Jonathan, King Saul and Jonathan, know that one day David is going to be king and Jonathan makes this request of David in 1 Samuel 20. David, do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And so David says to Jonathan, okay, okay. May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And then just a few chapters later in 1 Samuel 24, King Saul, that's his father, Jonathan's father, he now says the same thing to David. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. 1 Samuel 31, both Saul and Jonathan die in battle. And Mephibosheth, who is the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan, his nanny, fearing now that David will be after Mephibosheth, grabs this boy of five years of age and runs out of the house with him to hide him, protect him, keep him secure. But as she runs out, she drops him. And from that moment on, he became a cripple, a cripple. Well, we've got to jump ahead to David being king now. And David's got everything. He's got wealth, he's got power, he's got wives, he's got palaces. But he says to his servants, is there anybody, is there anybody of Saul's family still alive that I can show kindness to? And his servants say this, yes, David, there is, there is. There's a man who was a cripple. Interesting, right? They highlight this time of the Paralympics. They highlight his inability to stand on his own two feet. Yes, there is this guy, but he's a cripple. And David says to him, bring him here. Bring him here. Now, Mephibosheth at this time, is round about 20 years of age and he's living in a place called Lodabar, which is out in the desert where people would go to hide. And I imagine when the kings, when King David's men come to get Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth is thinking, I'm done, right? This is it. I'm done. I've been found out. David's going to have me killed. And they carry him back to the palace. And I imagine every step that they took, Mephibosheth is thinking, right? This is my last day alive. I'm done for. And he comes into the presence of David the king. He throws away his crutches. He falls down on the ground and he says to David, what do you want of this dead dog? And what's David's reply? His name. This man has only been known 
by being a cripple. And now the king is saying his name. In fact, within the next seven verses in that chapter, David says his name seven times. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. I'm not here to do you harm. I'm here to be kind to you because God has been kind to me. To me. And Mephibosheth must have been overawed when David says to him, I'm going to show you generous, extravagant love and kindness. I'm going to give you recognition. No longer will you need to live in the back blocks in obscurity. I'm going to give you a destiny. That land that was taken from you will now be restored to you and I'm going to give you a blessing that from now on you will sit at my table and eat from my table for the rest of your life. Why? Because David said this, I've experienced the kindness of good. I need to be kind to others also. David showed kindness to this man who didn't deserve it, could never earn it and could never repay it. Of all the people that have walked on the earth, Jesus is the most kind person. Can you think of anybody else who's more kind than Jesus? Sure, I know he had a go at the Pharisees, but I think even then, right, he was doing it out of kindness because they were being misled and thinking that by rule-keeping and law-keeping they would get closer to God. And Jesus was saying, you're in the wrong path, right? You need to have a personal relationship with God. That's what you need. I think that even then Jesus was being kind. He told the story of Luke 10. I'm sure we know this. This, this story is so well. A man making his way from Jerusalem to Jericho and he gets beaten up, stripped of his clothes, lying on the side of the road. First of all, a priest comes along. And what does his, he do? He goes to the other side of the road. He doesn't want to see him. And then a Levite, he comes along and he does the same thing. I don't want to look at that guy. He crosses the road and continues on in his journey. And then the Samaritan comes. And the Samaritan pours oil over his wounds and binds them up, puts the man on his donkey, takes him to the local inn and then says to the innkeeper, here, look after this man. Here's some money. I have to keep going. Look after him. Well, when I come back, I will pay you whatever, whatever it takes to look after this man. This story is so embedded in our culture, the story of the Good Samaritan. I hear it all the time. Someone doing something kind to somebody else being called a Good Samaritan. It's true, it's easy to be kind to others when they're kind to us. But what about being kind to someone who is not kind to you? Who sometimes says words to you or who is mean to you? Will you be kind to them? Proverbs 14, 21. It's a sin to despise one's neighbour, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. But kindness doesn't count the cost, doesn't favour the few. Kindness exceeds what is expected and gives generously. Now, 
As I say, I don't think it's true that just naturally in and of ourselves, we're naturally kind toward others. The scripture says this, if you have the spirit of Christ living in you, one of the fruit of the spirit is kindness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So with Jesus living in me, with the spirit of Christ living in me, I have all the kindness of God potentially to be made available as God wants to use me to bring glory to him and to extend his kingdom. And so in those moments when I think, you know, somebody's cut me off as I'm driving, somebody's done something at Christmas time when everybody's so rushed and rushed, something, somebody's said something to me on social, written something to me on social media, I have the opportunity to be unkind or be kind or be kind. But kindness doesn't consider the cost. It doesn't favour the few. It exceeds what is expected and gives generously. And Paul, Paul knew that. Paul experienced it. Second Timothy chapter 1. He says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. When he arrived in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. I get the impression that when Paul arrived in Rome, there were some people who were ashamed that Paul was here. And Paul said, there's one man, there's one man who was so good towards me. He refreshed me. He looked after all my needs. And Anisiphorus, I not only pray blessing on you, but all your family. Wow, that's good. In fact, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We're not to be kind so that others will be kind to us. That's what usually happens. We are to be kind because God has been kind to you and me. I was at the Bible school down in Barrow. We had a student who lived, came from country Victoria and she lived on a farm all of her life and shortage of water. She was used to showering once a week. That's just the way she'd grown up because of lack of water. And so she was in a dormitory with three other girls and my dean of women came to me one day and said, Neil, We've got a little bit of an issue. Miranda only showers once a week because that's her background, which means that on a Tuesday night when we all go out and play volleyball on the hill up the road, she comes into a room, she's all sweaty, and she just jumps into bed. And the other girls in the room aren't too happy about this. What do you think we can do so we don't, you know, upset Miranda. We've got to do it in a right way. So I thought for a moment and I said, Janice, this is what I think we should do. How about, as a staff, we'll th just optional, right? We'll all throw in a little bit of money. And in fact, I think we'll include these three girls as well. We won't tell anybody else. These three girls, if they want to contribute as well, 
throw in some money and go into barrel and I want you to buy a basket and put in, you know, all the things that girls love, you know, perfumes and towels and soaps and all the rest of that, you know, make it look really beautiful and we'll just present it to Miranda. We'll just say, Miranda, we just really appreciate you for the person that you are. We thank you for being here and we just wanted to, you know, give a kind gesture to you and do something for you. And Janet says, Neil, that's a great idea. I'll do that, I'll do that. Next few days, we're able to raise a bit of money. And so Janice went in and she came back with this beautiful basket. She did a great job. And so we called Miranda down said, Miranda, would you come down? Come down. We just appreciate you, the person that you are. We want to be kind to you. Here's a basket of just some beautiful things which we think that you may enjoy. She began to cry. Miranda began to cry. She said, no one has ever done anything like this for me. In fact, she said, this is so beautiful. I'm going to keep it and take it home in three months' time to show my mother and father. And we're thinking, no, 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 no. That's not the plan, right? That's not the plan. Miranda, we'd be happy We'd be happy if you just took it up to the room, showed the other girls, and be free to use it as you so choose. Uh, well, it did work out, right? It did work out. It worked out well. Kindness. Kindness that doesn't consider the cost. Kindness that doesn't favour the few. Kindness that exceeds what is expected and gives generously. We pray together. Lord, you're a kind God. You answer our prayers, some of the most weird prayers, really. But Lord, many times you're still so pleased to answer them because you are kind. Your kindness, Lord, to each one of us. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Lord, in a world particularly at this time, particularly where we're seeing a lot of unkindness between people, Lord, I pray that you might be at work in my life, that you would stop me when I feel like saying an unkind word or doing an unkind action, that instead I would allow your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to live in me so that I can show your kindness, not my kindness, Lord, not, but show your kindness. Lord, that others would look at us and say, he's so kind. She's so kind. That an unbelieving world, Lord, might come to believe in you as they see you in us. And we pray these things. Lord, I pray for this week. This week, there may be one or two opportunities, Lord, where we can be kind toward others. For in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.